0: The following message is from the 2016 IBCD Summer Institute. Disordered Desires, Bringing Grace to Modern Sexuality. Okay, let me uh, let me start us off with a word of prayer. Father God, we're grateful for tonight. Uh, Lord, I'm so thankful for uh, Sam and his uh, word uh, this evening. Uh, words of grace, words of life, words of hope, uh, words of truth. Um, God, we're thankful that you... Meet us in the midst of our brokenness, and uh, you bring us to life through the powerful work of your Son. And so, God, I pray that tonight, as we talk about uh, how to approach the topic of sexuality with uh, with teens, um, Lord, we pray you give us wisdom. You tell us that if any of us uh, lacks wisdom, to ask, and you'll give it. God, I need wisdom, um, so please give it to me. Uh, give it to me now and lord pray that you would fill all of us with a sense of love and compassion uh, for these kids as they grow up in a world that is uh, that's um, yeah that's just so broken so uh, pray that you do that now for us through the work of your spirit for the sake of your son and for the building of your kingdom i pray in christ's name amen welcome come in find a seat um I'm grateful that you all uh, have decided to spend this evening with me uh, talking. I'm a little bit strange, and I've got a lot of caffeine in me, so I might go fast. If I do start to go fast, then please just tell me to calm down. I won't be, I won't be offended. We're here tonight to talk about uh, the topic of sexuality. I mean, that's really this whole con- conference, Disordered Desires. But this is one of the key, uh, this may be the key issue uh, for our generation as we move uh, into the world to speak to uh, a hurting and broken world around us. This is an issue that splits families, it splits friendships, it splits churches, Uh, This is uh, an issue, the issue of sexuality is something that is so very, as we heard even earlier tonight, is so very tied to people's identities that it's difficult to even talk in an open and loving manner uh, with folks about this. And what our teens are learning now is that their sexual identity... Uh, is so very tied to, to their personhood that if you if you approach them even lovingly about the topic of sex, about the topic of sexual uh, sexual disorders, um, sexual identity, then many times they just get angry and blow you off. And so tonight what I'm going to present to you is, Something that uh, is sort of a thumbnail sketch of the way I handled this, uh, this topic, with my high schoolers and middle schoolers at the church where I'm a pastor at. So what you're going to get tonight is an overarching theme, and then we're going to kind of drill it down into some detail as we walk through. But first, I think it's, it's helpful For me to say this, this is just the way I did it. (laughs) Uh, And who am I? I'm just some guy, uh, right? Uh, You need to take the principles, the things that you're hearing here at this conference, and apply them to the context that you're in. Because I minister in a predominantly white suburb of Southern California, very upper middle class. Um, And so my context is different than someone who would be ministering in Uh, An area where it's predominantly rural, um, you're going to face different issues than I am. You're going to deal with different issues than I am, answer different questions than I am. So what I want to do tonight is kind of give you a guide to that. This isn't going to be a session about how to counsel teens. That's that's not what I'm going to try to accomplish tonight. So if you're here and you're trying to hear how to counsel teens... Then let me, uh, let me encourage you to go tomorrow night to my mother-in-law's, uh, to her session, to Eileen Sipioni's session, and listen to that, okay? Um, and I won't be offended if you get up and you walk out and go find a different session that's more applicable to what you need to hear. Uh, before we get started going through how to talk to teens about sex and sexuality, I want to give you a bit of my story. Because we all come out of a context, Right? We all come with our own life experiences to God's word and to the context of the church. And so I grew up, kind of strangely, in the exact same town that I'm ministering in now. Um, I grew up in Poway. Uh, I went to a church in Poway. I played sports in Poway. Um, Poway is kind of like the nexus of my being. So if you can think Powaygian, that's Joel. (laughs) Uh, That's me. I grew up in a church where um, if sex was ever talked about, and it almost never was. I mean, I I literally, I sat down the other day and tried to think of one time between when I was, uh, when I first started going to church till when I graduated from high school and then was in the early college years. I tried to think of one time where my pastor talked about sex, and I honestly couldn't think of once. Um, I grew up in a youth group that was um, that was hypersexualized. Uh, it was a youth group where, yeah, we we loved to be with one another, but there was a lot of stuff going on, um, a lot of things where people were using each other. Um, there's a lot of times when the youth pastor would turn away and we'd talk about, you know, inappropriate things. We'd make inappropriate jokes. We'd do things like that. And it was all cool. And then, and then my youth pastor decided to, to uh, breach the topic of sex and sexuality with the boys. And he said to us, um, I think, I mean, I was reading a commentary the other day and they affirmed this, so I guess it's out there. Um, I don't agree with it, but he said to us, a bunch of 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old boys, he said to us, well, you know, sex is bad, um, but I'd rather, I'd rather you masturbate than have sex. So what do you think that's going to do to a bunch of 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old boys, right? I mean, we're like, whoa. We thought it was great. Permission from our pastor. Let's, you know. Um, it's madness. Absolute madness. I was first exposed as a kid uh, to pornography when I was nine. Um, and it was just random, right? Of what me and my friends were not looking for. We were actually playing basketball. Our ball bounced over a wall. We jumped the wall. There was a playboy. Uh, even before that, as a kid... Um, I was, I was uh, inappropriately touched by another family member um, for years as a kid. That kind of stuff screws with your brain. It skews your mentality towards sex and sexuality. And our kids are growing up right in the midst of that now um recently i was reading a book don't ask why i'm a youth pastor i get paid to read i get paid to read odd books this book is called american girls uh, the secret lives of teenagers and social media uh this is a study done by a woman from vanity fair who went around went around the, the country and interviewed girls you know through their teen years about their interaction with social media now I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm gonna tell you what. What's been read can never be unread. This is not a. This is not a Christian book. You're gonna read things in there if you decide to pick up this book and read it. I actually counseled one of my pastor friends not to buy it, um, just to let me tell him what was in it. Um, I wish I would have had that warning. Um, the amount. The amount of sexual perversion that goes on. On social media, things like Snapchat, um, different ghosting apps. The amount of sexual perversion that goes on in high school where you have kids before they want to start to, like, go out with other kids, texting them and telling them to send them pictures of their body parts that they shouldn't be sending them. The amount of sexual shame that goes on when those pictures then get spread to the entire school, um... The amount of madness that surrounds the topic of sexuality is just palpable today. You can't, you can't turn on the radio or turn on um, uh, the TV without seeing it. I mean, heck, I was watching Once Upon a Time, a TV show, you know, Once Upon a Time, with my daughter. I was like, what the heck is this mess hitting the fast-forward button Right? I mean, this, this is supposed to be snow white. Are you kidding me? Like, she's, she's neither snowy nor white. I mean, this is terrible. This is ridiculous. And this sort of pervasive sexuality has taken over our culture. And really, it's, it's, a, it's a sign, as Sam was saying tonight, we're reaching the logical conclusion of where we've been headed for so long. Um, And so tonight, I want you to understand that's the context that I'm speaking to you out of. And what we're going to work through is is just this sort of, it's not a haphazard curriculum. I mean, don't think that. I've read an immense amount on this topic, more than I'd care to admit. In fact, it was so much that, like, I just was so tired of talking about sex. I just, like, shelved all my books one day. I was so mad. My wife was like, Joel, come on, dude. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but have you ever seen the um, the observation videos that IBCD has put out? Have you seen those? Go look at them. It's really awkward. Like, it's my face and then pornography. Um it's really weird. Like, I was the counselee. Um... I had to preach at my church uh, in the period of like two years. I had to preach nine sermons on sex and sexuality. Um, I was preaching through 1 Corinthians in the evening, preaching through a different uh, series in the morning. Um, I thought a lot, (laughs) a lot about this topic. So what you're going to get tonight is some of of the research, some of the thoughts that I've had uh, on how to talk to kids about sex. And this is really the curriculum that I developed to teach my kids. So that's what you're seeing on your handout. All of those points below, we aren't... Good Lord, if we were to go through all of those, that was like 16 weeks worth of teaching uh, on the topic of sex and sexuality. If we were to go through all those, they'd run out of videotape. Um, so first, the first thing that I want to do is I want to affirm three things with you guys. Um, And you'll see this is the first point in the outline. First thing I want to affirm to you is this. Um, The Bible talks about sex. And so should you. The Bible talks about sex. And so should you. There's no shortage of sex in the Bible. Um, I was was reading a book called uh, Sex and Violence in the Bible. Uh, It's a great book fantastic goes through all of these sort of passages where you're like oh that was uncomfortable we won't read that aloud in church skip to the next passage Um, and there is the bible is is replete with it i mean if if they were to make a movie that was actually accurate Mm -hmm. about the bible um i dare say we wouldn't show it in our churches um the bible is full of sex And yet, we have to ask the the question, why? Why does it talk about sex so often? Because God created sex. (laughs) God created sex as a picture of something so much more amazing than just sex. God created sex and he called it good, right? Right? created male female they knew each other and what does god say that's really good but like, that's just not like good like this the stars it's not just good like the earth no that that union that relationship that intimacy that adam and eve shared was really good the bible talks about sex but there's also no shortage of sex in the cultural dialogue um why Well, because sex is good. Sex is good. It's something that draws union and intimacy. It feels good. Um, So people talk about it. And yet, when it's misused, uh, its misuse causes so much pain and suffering. And so that gives birth to a whole new sort of art. A whole new sort of song. That's the blues, right? <laughs> That's, the Bible's not shy about sex. It doesn't sugarcoat the sort of brokenness that comes. When we take a very good thing and we twist it and use it for our own desires. You see, the Bible isn't rated G. Um, if you think it is, then go read the book of Genesis. If you still think it's rated G, read Judges. If you still think so, read Esther. Read Song of Solomon. Read 1 Corinthians. Um, And if you still think it is, then get reading glasses. Um, (laughs) The Bible isn't rated G when it comes to its portrayal of sex and sexuality. It gives us a good sketch. It gives us a good sketch of how to have these sorts of conversations. sorts of conversations with kids, and I think that you find this real clearly in the book of Proverbs, so I'm just going to flip open there, Um, the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, chapters 5 through 8. So many ways I wish that the person who titled like the the chapters in our Bibles would put like a comma and then complete the the thought, right? Like warning against adultery, comma, sex and marriage is awesome. Um, That's how chapter 5 should really read. Um, In these passages, we hear the wise father giving practical warnings about chasing the whore, right? Male or female whoever the whore is. Um, And then lauding the goodness of sex and marriage. He starts out uh, in in chapter 5 by saying, My son, be attentive to my wisdom, right? Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. What does that mean? It's like, listen to me. I'm giving you some wise advice here. This is an older, wiser person talking to a younger, less wise person. Does that make sense? Yeah. It kind of sounds like what we're talking about. How do you talk to teens about sex? Okay. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. Ooh, that's a great description. What's he saying? Have you ever gotten a drip of honey on your mouth? Like in your tongue, right? What does it do? It's sweet, like the burst of sweet. But if you don't chase it with anything, I don't know about you, but it becomes kind of bitter in my mouth. I don't like the taste of it. Um, actually gives me kind of a headache. I don't know why. Maybe I'm strange. Um, point is, is that it's a burst of sweet, but it doesn't provide anything. Doesn't give you lasting sort of satisfaction. Doesn't give you actually what you're looking for. You see, this is this is porn. <laughs> this is sex. Um, this is sex outside of the confines of marriage, right? Um, you look at the pornographic image, bam, it's a burst of sweet. Ooh, that's nice. And then later on, as your conscience bears down on you, you're like, Oh, that's bitter as wormwood. That's just nasty. Um, He says, keep this thought close to you. When you chase down the whore, male or female, that path leads to pain, it leads to ruin, shame. But when you go after sex in its proper context, it's like a drink, a deep drink. Of water, look at look at verse fifteen. There's this sharp um, comparison going on here. Drink water from your own cistern. That's a great <laughs> that's a great image. Flowing water from your own well. What's he talking about there? You don't go to honey to quench your thirst, right? <laughs> Especially not a drip of honey. You go somewhere where you have lasting, full satisfaction. Something where it actually gets you where you want to go. And then he talks about it. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely dear. A graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated. Be drunk with her love. It doesn't sound rated G to me. I mean that's that's some uh, that's some pretty beautiful poetry. Uh, it goes on in chapters six and seven, much of the same way. You see what I love, what I love about this analogy, because I think it's so true. Whether it's porn or it's masturbation, which is adultery according to Jesus. Looking at porn as adultery con- uh, according to Jesus. Or it's actually carrying out the act of adultery. These things, um, these things are like the sweet drip, but it just it just kills you in the end. But the the refreshment that's found in your wife is just this beautiful, nonstop flowing cistern, flowing stream of water, refreshing you. Secondarily. The Bible talks about sex in a way that's kind of countercultural to our dialogue, to our current dialogue. Turn over to First Corinthians. First Corinthians, chapter six and seven. You'll probably hear a lot about this um, this week, uh, but I think this passage is just so good. Uh, this passage we hear, First Corinthians chapter six, that our bodies. Um, that our bodies are, are united, um, they're united to Christ, that our bodies aren't our own, they're Jesus's. Um, so then he asks the question, Dear Christian, if your body is not your own, if it's Jesus's, if Jesus's spirit resides in your body to such a way that when you look at it, you, your members are the members of Christ." Then how do you turn those members over to a prostitute? I mean, think about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. I I tell my kids this. Whose eyes are you looking with? (laughs) Um, Whose hand are you using? Uh, Whose body parts are you? Sorry. Um, You may not like that. That's fine. I get it. Uh, May be offensive to you. That's what the Apostle Paul's saying. Um, whose body are you using? See, the Bible talks about sex and it talks about it in really kind of explicit language. He doesn't just stop there, then he really goes, he runs just purely countercultural uh, to our own context today. And he says, Look, Man, when, when, when you're married to a woman, your body's not your own. In fact, it's your wife's. Not only is it Jesus, it's your wife's. So give your wife her conjugal rights. Woman, do the same thing. What is he talking about there? He's talking about serving each other within the context of sex. What's sex all about now? It's about serving myself. It's about me being who I want to be, whatever I feel like. That's what I am, and so I'm going to explore that, and I'm going to do all this so that I can be fulfilled. And Paul says, no, wait a second. Sex isn't for you primarily. Sex is for your spouse to serve them. Mind blown, right? Right? You should see my, uh, like the kids in my youth group when I, when I talk to them about this. Like, Wait, what? <laughs> but you know what kills me? <laughs> what kills me is this is not what our kids hear. Your kids hear something different every day. Every time they turn on the TV, every time they turn on the internet, every time they turn on the radio, every time they go out and they talk to their friends about sex, your kids hear a very, very different message. The message your kids hear is that their sexuality is all for themselves. Um, The message your kids hear is that they need to explore sexuality and to repress that is to repress their humanness. And... It's actually kind of ugly and destructive and terrible. That's the message your kids are hearing. The Bible talks about sex. You need to talk about sex. Because if you don't, they're going to get a very different message than what they're hearing here. This is what our kids need to hear. And when we portray sex as only a bad thing to our children... Only something where you're like, no, you just need to avoid that. You need to avoid it at all costs. When we portray sex in that way, as opposed to saying, no, sex is great when it's in the right context. God's given it to you as a good gift. To be used in a good way. A way that doesn't bring shame and hurt and guilt. When we don't give our kids that message, they hear the message Sex is a good thing, and you should just use it to fulfill yourself. Okay, sorry, get off my soapbox. Second, second thing I want to affirm you need to talk about the fact that God uses sexually broken people to build his kingdom. Because the Bible talks about it. Not only does the Bible speak of sex, it speaks of God taking incredibly broken people, sexually broken people, and redeeming them from Rahab the prostitute, to Esther, to the Corinthian church, to our own experience. God is in the business Of redeeming sexually broken people and using them to build His kingdom. You don't believe me? Go through the the, the lineage of Jesus. Go through the lineage of Jesus and see who's listed there. See, this is so key to our presentation of sex to our kids. So many of the kids in middle school and high school that you'll be talking to will be experiencing the brokenness that comes with things like masturbation or porn or, or sexual experiment, uh, experimentation or worst of all, things that they aren't actually doing but that have been done to them like rape or sexual abuse. They'll be dealing with those issues in middle school and high school. If you don't think you are, they are, you're lying to yourself. I have middle school kids. I counsel and teach high school kids. Um, if you think kids aren't dealing with that now, um, boy, uh, you got another thing coming. It's a firm fact. The kids who get through their teen years without falling, without falling in one of these areas, they're looking at porn, masturbating, um, knowing someone who's been raped, knowing someone who's had an abortion. Um, Those kids are the actual rarities, (laughs) the kids who make it through without that. Um, The majority of kids now see porn for the first time when they're in the younger stages of, of middle school to even the later stages of elementary school. And we're talking fifth and sixth graders. And the sort of porn that they're seeing is not... It's not like mommy and daddy kissing. It's, it's getting increasingly and increasingly more abusive. More degrading to women. And that's what's setting the sexual context for them. But you see, the beauty is... The thing that's just so amazing about our God... Is that he takes people who are like that... And he turns them around... and he uses them to build his kingdom. He uses women who have had abortions to build his kingdom. He rids us. He rids us of the shame that comes with that through the beautiful, amazing, cleansing blood of Christ. Now, this doesn't mean, hear me very, very clearly, this doesn't mean That we don't call our kids to purity. That's not what I'm saying here. Okay? If you think that that's what I'm saying, it's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying. (laughs) What I'm saying is, is this. God uses sexually broken people to build his kingdom. You see... So many kids we deal with will be carrying with them some sort of sexual shame or guilt. And if they don't know that there's a place where they can be forgiven and cleansed from that sexual guilt and shame, then they're going to throw up their hands and quit. How do I know? Because that's what I did. (laughs) Um, Coming out of high school, struggling with trying to, having this picture in my mind, like I'm supposed to be pure, but... I'm not I've been molested. I've seen porn. I've struggled with this stuff. I gave up. I mean, I was just done. It's like bail this mess. <laughs> um, if this is if this is the standard and I can't meet that standard and there's nothing there's nothing that gets rid of my shame and guilt then I'm going to eat, and I'm going to drink, and I'm going to be merry, for tomorrow we die. You see, we hold out the truths of Christ to them. We take them to the stories in the Bible where people have sinned sexually, and yet God has used those people even placing them in the lineage of Christ. We take them to places in the Bible where people have been abused sexually and God redeems the situation. We take them to places in the Bible where they see that there's someone who is completely unloved and her husband wakes up after their, after their marriage night, after having sex with him, and he looks at her and he's like, what? It's you? God uses that situation to build his kingdom. God is pleased. God is pleased to use broken people to build his kingdom. So whether you're talking to someone who has had premarital sex, who's addicted to porn, God can redeem them. And use them in the grand story of his redemption, just like he did the people in the Bible, just like he did David. Man after God's own heart sees Bathsheba. I mean, don't get this picture wrong, right? Sees Bathsheba. She's naked. He's the king. Come up here. And this isn't like a, I, I don't know, maybe it was. Maybe I'm crazy. I mean, I don't think so. I, been through seminary and i've studied all this stuff i don't think this is like a consensual act here i mean i don't think david called her up and was like hey bathsheba how's it going baby you want to come over to the kid's castle uh i got some sweet wine over here we can watch a movie together no that's not how it happened and yet what does the bible affirm about david He's the precursor to Christ. He's a man after God's own heart. God redeems sexually broken people and uses them for his kingdom's purposes. See, this brings so much hope. (laughs) Did to me, man. Oftentimes people who have fallen sexually are trapped in the lie that they're useless. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. when we either implicitly or explicitly tell our kids that they're ruined because of sexual sin, Satan wins and he wins twice over first, because they sinned second, because they're completely hopeless. They think there is no redemption for them, that they're beyond God's love. Third thing. Talk about how the gospel makes sexually broken people perfect before God. Ooh. <laughs> Talk about how the gospel makes sexually broken people perfect before God. This truth is the most beautiful truth of them all. You see, not only is sex good, awesome. Um, not only does God redeem sexually broken people and use them for his kingdom, awesome er but the gospel makes sexually broken people perfect as they stand before God, their father. Um, when we place our faith in Christ, we're so united to him that our broken record of sin is washed completely clean through the cleansing blood of Christ and the power of sin that enslaved us is completely broken. When we place our faith in Christ, we are washed totally clean, and the power that sin has over us is broken. When Jesus saves the sexually broken person, he replaces that person's record of brokenness With his perfect record of righteousness. This is the most important thing you can tell your kids. Where they fail, Jesus succeeds. Where they sin, Jesus is perfectly righteous. And Jesus imputes or takes and credits his perfect righteousness to those kids. May God be praised forever. (laughs) There's so much hope in this message. Jesus takes away the condemnation that comes with having a guilty record and replaces it with acceptance and love and son or daughtership. And all of this happens in such a manner so that when God looks at those kids... When they've placed their faith in Christ and they've sinned sexually and they've repented, God looks at them and he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. Let me read something to you. Gird up your loins. This is going to be a little bit long. How are you righteous before God? If you want to know, this is the Heidelberg Catechism. Question 60. Okay. Heidelberg Catechism. Question 60. Okay. How are you righteous before God? I'm going to take it out of the Old English and make it into more colloquial English, more of what we, what we talk about. How are you righteous before God? Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ, so that though my conscience accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all of the commandments of God and kept none of them, and am still inclined toward all evil notwithstanding God without any merit of mine, meaning not out of my own good works, but only the righteousness and holiness of Christ, even so, I'm sorry, I I skipped a whole line, Um, so kind to all evil, notwithstanding God without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, even so as if I had never, as if I never had had nor committed any sin. Yes, as if I had fully accomplished all the obedience which Christ has accomplished for me, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. What's the Heidelberg Catechism saying? It's saying that when we put our faith in Christ, when God sees us, it's as if we had never once sinned in our lives. (laughs) But not only that, you see, that's good enough. That's pretty cool. I don't know about you. I'd be pretty stoked if that was true about me. But you see, that would just put me kind of like on... Zero. <laughs> what I need is, is to be above zero to actually, like, get into heaven. It just kind of gets me back to the garden where I'm at zero. So it's like like I've never sinned, but then he gives me all of Christ's obedience so that I go from zero to, like, infinity, and I get Heaven. That's what kids need to hear. Kids don't need to hear. Stop looking at porn. It screws you up. Kids need to hear. Stop looking at porn. It screws you up. But you know what? If you did, brother, God still sees you as righteous. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Place your faith in Christ. God will forgive you. God sees you as though you're perfectly righteous. You have the record of Christ. You no longer have to live that way. You no longer have to run to that. You see, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's sexually broken people. There's prideful people. There's angry people. Ground is level when we approach the cross. There's kids, there's adults. We all need the same Jesus. (laughs) We all need the same empty tomb. We all need the same ascension. This benefit that's given to us through faith in Christ um, is not alone, though. Because of Christ's work, the power that sin has over us is broken. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. See, this gives us hope. The old man has passed away. (laughs) We're new creations in Christ. Kids need to hear. They need to hear that although the flesh wages war within them against the spirit... They are not, they serve a new master. Um, They're not captive. They aren't forced to follow their flesh's desires. Christ has broken the chains. They aren't left helpless to be bowled over by Satan. No, they're united to Christ. And you know what's so funny about this? This union to Christ and this love that we share with Jesus that's brought about by the gospel. And Ephesians 5 is put in sexual terms. <laughs> um, how, does, how does the Apostle Paul talk about the relationship between the church and Christ? It's in the confines of marriage. It's in the confines of the union that we have in marriage. And so Christ gives himself to the church, and the church receives him and gives herself to him in this beautiful act of love and service together. Now, this is really going to blow your minds. That's okay. Bernard of Clairvaux has the best quote about this. He was an ancient mystic. Um, Great quote. He calls Ephesians 5... And the relationship of the church in Christ, you may not want to write this down, I don't know. Depends on how uh, how free your conscience is. He describes that relationship as a naked queen copulating with her king. This beautiful self-giving love. And then even as we heard tonight, there's going to be a big marriage that's going to be consummated at the end of time. You see, this kind of makes us feel uncomfortable. as like American Christians, right? I know. I know. When I was reading this, I was like, "Ooh, Bernard, you're pushing a little bit too far there, dude. Uh, I'm not sure that I want to, I want to hear that. Yet it brings out the goodness and the beauty of the intimacy that's shared between us and Christ. You see, when we stand before Christ, we can actually be naked and unashamed. And we can know Christ. And Christ can know us in the most intimate, beautiful way. And that's good. (laughs) That's really good. So we talk to our kids. We talk to them because the Bible talks about it. We talk to them. Because they need to know God uses broken people. We talk to them because the gospel redeems broken people and releases them from the bondage to sin. So how do we do it? Well, that's that second part of your handout. We aren't going to go through all the way all the way through it. <clears throat> I want to make just some comments on this. Like I said, this was uh, this was um, this is the way I taught the kids at my church. About sex and sexuality. First thing to do was to locate them in history. They need to understand why they're asking the questions that they're asking. Um, they need to see that they're just a part of this big, long train of thought that's been going on for a very long time. Some, I gave you this chart. This chart came from one of my professors, Scott Clark, at Westminster Seminary. And I think it's so helpful, right? Um, what we're dealing with today, this post-late liquid modernity, notice when it started in the New World, 1968. What was going on in 1968? The sexual revolution. Um, they're just carrying out the logical consequences of the sexual revolution. Um, They're carrying out the consequences of the hippie age, right? Dirty hippies. Um, They're dealing with that. They're living in the wake. It's like a big, big giant aircraft carrier is going through the sea, right? And it leaves its wake. That's what they're living in now. And so they ask the question. Um, The dominant question is, who cares? Who's asking, like, what do they want from me? Their idea of authority is kind of like, "What's that? I'm my own authority." Um, this is just pure paganism. Uh, let me let me encourage you to buy the book uh, "The God of Sex" by Peter Jones. Um, if you don't have that, that's a dynamite book to explain where we're at now. You see, paganism takes sex and sexuality, and it locates it locates the um, locates the spiritual. In the bedroom, um, and so let me give you let me give you a couple of examples of how this works from pop culture. Um, if you don't engage in pop culture, you need to. Um, I'm sorry, I know the music's terrible. Um, it's okay, listen to it. Your kids are. Um, what the heck just happened here? My phone just went nuts. Um, have you ever heard the song "Take Me to Church"? Right, Take me to church, blah, 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 whatever. Um, What's that song all about? It's not about going to church, (laughs) right? It's all about worshiping God in the bedroom. Um, It's all about how that's the ultimate spiritual act is sex. Uh, Another great thing. uh, I love Florida Georgia Line, um, country music band. They got a song out right now called Holy. Holy. High on Loving You. That's um, what holy stands for. You're holy, holy, holy. I'm high on loving you. Talks about sex in the bedroom as a spiritual act. TV. Doctor Who. If you don't watch Doctor Who, you need to. Most of your high, junior high kids are watching it. It's strange. It's odd. Don't worry about it. Watch it anyways. Lose yourself in the TARDIS. Um, last show. Last show. Two seasons ago, Dr. Who, there's a strange sound emanating from a planet. Everyone's there trying to find out what's going on. What's guarding the planet is the church of the mainframe. Um, no God, technology. When you enter the church of the mainframe, you're nude. Um, now, obviously, it doesn't show them nude. This is BBC. Um, they're fully clothed, but Dr. Who's just playing a trick on his, uh, his person who's with him's mind. You're fully nude. You go to the priest, who is actually a priestess who's dressed in all bondage clothes. Um, she leads you to the inner sanctum, right? Where you have your sacrifice, Mass takes place, and then you go to confession. Um, the sacrament is sex, the wine is an aphrodisiac, uh, the confessional is in her bedroom. I have a I have a sixth grader who watches Doctor Who in my church. I mean, just in case you don't think that's relevant. Um, when I was talking through this with him, his eyes were like, wait, what? See, our kids don't really get it, but that's what they're getting fed. And so, we need to talk about where we are in history and why that matters. Then you can see... Um, talk about the goodness of sex, making a positive case for it. Sex is a thing that God created identity, community, procreation gospel transforms it. And then we went through and we talked about homosexuality. I have the blessing of serving in a church where one of the guys in my church was a RA, um, at a public college. And, uh, and his roommate was a uh, was homosexual. He lived with the guy for an entire year. The guy was very antagonistic. Um, brought him in to talk to the kids. His his best friend actually came out to him. Um, talk about what that's like. How do you deal with that? This guy's godly guy. How do you work with that? Um, talk about abortion. <laughs> talk about talk about. Uh, transsexual talk about pornography talk about masturbation um how sex is meant for service of the other person but when we masturbate we break that design talk about abortion please (laughs) please talk about abortion and not just like if you've had an abortion you're from the devil um talk about abortion Talk about why people have abortions. Talk about how this is a human life. Talk about abortion. Talk about how God uses people who have had abortions. Please, I beg you to. Um, Talk about sex trafficking. (laughs) That's a heavy, heavy topic. But your kids have to know... They have to know that every time they open up pornography, probably 80% of the actors who are involved or actresses who are involved in pornography are being trafficked. That's just sad. That's the sad reality that our kids live in. Talk to them about justice. Talk to them about the justice of not taking advantage of someone. Not participating in a broader system. Talk to them about it. And then talk. Lastly. Talk about how the gospel redeems, redeems people. All through it. Talk about how the gospel redeems people. Your kids need to hear it. Let me, uh, let me pray. And then we'll do some questions. Father, I'm grateful for this opportunity. And Lord... Um, Oh, man. Uh, yeah, we just live in a broken world. God, we need you desperately. So just pray that you would grant us great mercy and wisdom as we pursue you uh, with our kids. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2016 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www ibcd.org.